Good morning, Westgate. How's everybody doing? Let's stand. Let's worship together. To the King of Kings. There's nothing that our God can't do. No, 
There's not a mountain that he can't move. You believe that? Oh, praise the name that makes a way. There's nothing that our God can't do. Sing it if you believe it. There's nothing that our God can't do. There's not a mountain that he can't move. We'll praise the name that makes a way. There's nothing that our God can't do. We serve a mighty God.
take a seat for just a minute. Um, Isn't it amazing to just worship together in community? I just don't ever want to take that for granted. I don't want to take for granted um, just the collective lifting of our voices in worship to the Lord. Um, So welcome. I'm so glad you're here this morning. We're so glad you're here. Um, When you came into the building, you may have noticed some tables um, uh, by each of the entrances, and that's where you would find your sermon notes for today if you're a note taker. And also the communion elements are out there. Um, So if you didn't grab those and you want to go snag those real quick, you can. Um, Also, we would love it if you would take a couple minutes, whether you're a regular attender or a visitor, to fill out the connection card. So you'll find that in the pew, in the back of your pew, but also in the app. Or if you're online, you can fill that out um, on our website too. But that's just a great way for us to um, keep track of any changes and information you might have. But even more importantly, if you would take time to share any prayer requests that you might have um, That is just such a great way that we can come together as the family of God and and help carry each other's burdens. And um, you know that when we pray, God moves. And there's absolutely power in that. So um, don't don't think any request is too small. Just take a minute and um, uh, share your request so that we can join you. If you are a visitor, if this is your first time here, um, please make sure you stop by our Welcome Center um, out here so that we can say hello and get to know you and help you get connected. There's so many wonderful ministries here at Westgate, whether you are young or older. Um, I said old in the first service, and I shouldn't have. <laughs> so no matter what generation or season of life you find your, yourself in, um, there's wonderful ministries here. And one of the newer ones to Westgate is um, the Grief Share Ministry. Um, that is for men or women in our church family who are walking through the loss of a loved one. And um, those of you who have um, dealt with grief in your life know that it can be such a heavy Um, such a heavy burden to carry. And I love that the Bible tells us that we have a good shepherd who was acquainted with grief. And um, he's such a wonderful um, companion on our journey, but he also gives us the body of Christ and um, that we can come together. And I know in my own personal experience through the loss of my mom, it meant so much to have other people who 
were walking that journey as well because they could understand what I was feeling. And in the Grief Share program, uh, when I watch those videos, they can so many times articulate and put words to things that I'm thinking and feeling that I wouldn't be able to clearly explain. So it's so validating and so affirming. It just means a lot to um, be able to come together that way. So that meets on Tuesday nights, again, for any men and women in our church who have lost a loved one um, from 6.30 to 8.30. And each session is a standalone session. So just because you haven't been there the first few weeks doesn't mean you can't come. Just come and um, just allow the Lord to minister to you through that um, time together. Um, we would ask that you take a minute to register on the website at www.westgatechapel.org backslash events. Um, and now I'm going to turn things over to Pastor Adam. Thank you, Julie. Uh, I'm uh, Adam Just, adult ministry pastor and love life groups. And so I have two of uh, uh, some of my uh, favorite life group members. All of our life group members are my favorites. Uh, but uh, this is uh, Rafael and Monica Saldago. Um, they hail from Brazil. And I asked them just to come up and share a little bit about life groups with us this morning. And uh, this is a big step of faith for them because English is their second language. So if you asked me to go to Brazil and speech in Portuguese, it would never happen. So uh, I'm grateful for them and uh, to share a little bit about life groups uh, here at Westgate. So, Rafael, can you tell us a little bit uh, about uh, what you find or what you like about being a part of a life group? Yes. Um, so um, three things I personally very like about life group is, uh, first of all, for introverts, people like me, uh, I get to meet a fun group of people that I probably would not meet just coming to church at Sundays. Uh, so that's one great thing. The second thing uh, is that once you go to a few life groups, you start to realize that that's like a safe place where you can you know, share your struggle. Uh, you have the opportunity to pray for people, uh, be prayed for whatever you're going through. Um, you receive courage, you learn about the word of God. So that's uh, uh, very helpful in our uh, life uh, with Christ. And then the third uh, thing is also, I think, personal to me, being a foreign uh, person. Uh, that's a great opportunity for me to meet you guys and then uh, know more about the American culture. <laughs> <laughs> At times, that could be scary. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but we're thankful. Uh, Monica, can you kind of share with us what do you appreciate and enjoy about Life Group? Even though uh, I don't understand much English, I think it's important to have a group where we can count each other, share our challenge, and grow together in our walk, walk, Christ. walk, walk with Christ. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, so you, you're, you've, life groups help you grow in your walk with Christ. So can you share with us um, maybe one way that that has happened for you? How have you grown? Uh, with Jesus. I will answer in Portuguese. I'll be the official translator. Para mim, o Life Group é como uma escola prática. She's saying that for her, Life Group is like a, a practical school. Onde nós podemos tirar dúvidas, compartilhar ideias. Where we can, you know, come with our questions, share our ideas. E de uma forma bem mais descontraída. In a more relaxed way, environment. 
E nós sempre voltamos para casa refletindo muito sobre o que foi conversado e o que nós aprendemos na Life Group. And we always go back home after Life Group reflecting on what was taught that day and what we can learn from that. E eu lembro de um Life Group em específico que eu tive a oportunidade de perceber o quão fria espiritualmente eu estava e isso me ajudou a mudar. And she remembers one specific Life Group um, day where she came home and she Uh, the life group helped her realize how spiritually cold she was and that what we discussed that they helped her um, move towards an action to change that. E, então, cada life group que nós participamos, nós temos a oportunidade de aprender algo novo e isso ajuda na nossa caminhada cristã. Yeah. So every life group we have the opportunity to learn something new and then uh, help her in our walk and our life with Christ. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, so life groups here, we have like overall, I think, 38 uh, different life groups here at Westgate. And life groups are an opportunity to take a really big church and make it into smaller uh, church families. So um, right now we have about uh, eight different life groups that have open spots, open availability. Um, after worship, uh, one of our life group leaders, Wayne Gates, is going to be out in the, the, the lobby, main lobby here. And if you want to learn more about uh, life groups, Life groups that are open, sign up for a life group, then please uh, check in with Wayne or sign up one of our cards. You can also see the specific groups either through our Westgate app or also on our, our website. You can see all of our different life groups. So, Rafael, Monica, thank you so much for thank sharing you. with us this morning. And how about we uh, stand up, greet those around you, say hi to someone that you don't know yet this morning. Stage, but great job. Thank you. That was wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Now you're really. Yeah, now you can.
Lord, that you are our everything. And all too often we, we may seek um, affirmation and our identity in other places. But Lord, you are the only one that can fill us up. You do make us whole. And it's through your finished work on the cross that we have redemption and forgiveness of sins, Father. It's such, it's such a gift that we can't possibly do anything but give you our lives in return. Lord, would you just give us ears to hear this morning what word you would have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you continue um, through the act of worship, um, of giving of our offerings this morning? If you're on the middle aisle, if you would take those um, offering buckets and pass those out. Thank you so much. again. Morning everyone that's uh, joining us online this morning. A few mentions uh, before kind of jumping into the word. Uh, the first, uh, if you grabbed one of the sermon notes, we do have these Easter invitation cards because guess what? Easter is next Sunday. Woo! All right. Before we get to Easter, we have Good Friday. So Good Friday service here, Friday night, 7 o'clock. Just an opportunity for us to uh, pause and reflect uh, on um, the sacrifice that, that Jesus uh, has, has given um, on the cross. And then on Sunday morning, Easter, we get to celebrate uh, his resurrection. The tomb is empty. And uh, two services, uh, we're going to try to have those be an hour long, um, one at 9 o'clock, one at 10.45, and then at 10.15, an Easter egg hunt for uh, all the kids as well. We're going to have a connection time with a bunch of donuts and other treats and snacks, and everyone's excited for that. And so here you have these cards that you get to invite someone um, to, to this weekend. And whether someone's in your circle, someone that you've been praying for, some, a neighbor, friend, coworker, um, teammate, classmate, um, whoever it might be that we get to invite, and you get the, the opportunity and the privilege to invite them um, to worship uh, our Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing. The second thing, if you look to on the right side and the left side, uh, we have these new crosses that uh, there's a whole team that's behind them um, that have made them as we've continued to work on this, uh, our worship center, uh, ref refresh, and it's been a process. Um, those have been handmade and carved and not carved, but cut and put together and hung. And, and uh, just thank you to all those that have uh, given up a lot of time to make those happen. So uh, I wanted to tell you uh, 
back in my, my days of, of seminary, one of the classes that I took was called the World Mission of the Church. And World Mission of the Church is learning about God's mission and places of how people were being sent out for, for centuries from the time of the book of Acts. And, and then there was a, a piece of that that uh, you didn't want to keep that just in the head. You wanted to move that out into your hands and, and out uh, bringing God's kingdom into the world. And so was offered what they called an overseas practicum where you get to go overseas and to kind of apply what you've learned. And so Sarah and I said yes to this and we said yes to going with a group of 10 people to the, the nation country of Zimbabwe. And if you're like, uh, like me at the time, like where is Zimbabwe? It has a really cool name, but where is it? Uh, if you look at uh, the continent of, of Africa and how, has a part that comes down to the tip here, that lowest country is South Africa, and then right above there is a small country um, called Zimbabwe. It's a beautiful place, beautiful people. Has like Victoria Falls, one of the seven natural wonders of the world, um, safari animals, and two big cities. And we were uh, taken to uh, the second largest city, um, Bulawayo. And there we were partnered with uh, the Theological College of, of Zimbabwe. And so here's Sarah and I in front of uh, the sign there. And um, we got to participate in, in classes and learning. But then each of us were also partnered with like an outside ministry, like yeah, a chance to serve with, with our hands. And, and all everyone had a, their own little uh, pocket, and we had gone visiting to all these different places, but except me, and I was kind of the last one that was able to go. All I knew was that one day they said, okay, be ready sometime in the morning, you're going to get picked up. And I was like, okay, I, I'm ready. And towards late morning, in on this motorcycle comes this German woman named Helga, and she goes, Adam. And I said, yeah, that's me. And I said, you ready to go? And I said, okay, go pack your bag. You'll be back in a couple days. I was like, okay, I, I guess I'm going to go. And I went and grabbed, I, I grabbed uh, uh, my, my Nalgene. This is a different Nalgene at the time. But I uh, grabbed my Nalgene, filled it up, a liter of water, and just went. And I hopped on, grabbed the, the, my arms around Helga, and we went. Right? Didn't know where we're headed to. Uh, so we're navigating the streets of Bulawayo, finally out into the, the, the countryside, often called like the, the, the bush, and then the streets turn to dirt and dust and getting all kinds of dirty, all kind of dry, you know, mouth, and you kept drinking some more water. And we finally turned down this last uh, drive, and outside of it was this uh, yellow and blue uh, sign that says Ecutulani Carpentry. For what Helga had done, her heart and her passion, her skills was in carpentry. And to combine that with like the kingdom, the gospel, she came to uh, Zimbabwe and started to teach and disciple these young uh, uh, men that had been orphaned, 18 to 22 years old, and started this like carpentry school. And there's a picture of this guy, his name's Lamulani, and you know, he's using, this is the planer, the, the hand planer, as he's working that way. And you walk in, there's two brick buildings as we pulled in, one on the right that had um, just the, this is where like, the, the boarding was, the bedrooms, the, the, the kitchen, the, the meeting space. And then straight ahead, I saw these big blue doors, which had the carpentry, all the, the tools and stuff uh, inside. 
So I got to know these guys. There's like eight of them there. We hung out most of the afternoon having conversations, talking about um, um, God, talking about how they ended up here, what they appreciated, what they liked making. And uh, later on after lunch, we, had, we played soccer, and it was hot out, so you're drinking more water and sweating a lot and, and finally get to dinner. And at dinner, they, they served like the main starch, which was uh, like a, basically like a pasty cornmeal. It was like half the plate, a big pile of it, and it was called sudza. And then on the other half of the plate was the protein. The protein were these small little tiny fish called, they were dried and called capenta fish. And you could still see all their little eyeballs and and everything else. And I kind of followed the lead of the guys as they were taking and, and kind of putting hot sauce on these things. And they, you, these are crunchy, but it's the, 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 the protein. And like, okay, they put it in front of me. I, I, I will eat this. And it took me a little longer. A lot of water. Kept drinking. <laughs> made, it, made it all the way through. And then uh, we have evening devotions. Time to go to bed. By then, I'm, I'm out of water. Right? So uh, no, nothing left in the, in, in the, in the leader here. I wake up in the morning, just really thirsty, and I go to the bathroom, I turn the faucet on, and nothing. I'm like, okay, okay. We go out into the, the kitchen, the guys are they're up, and, and we're going to make porridge for, for breakfast. Great, porridge, I can do that. And I, well, we need water to boil, and, and I go over to the sink, and there's nothing here, too. And I said, where do we get the water? And he said, well, about six months ago, the, the pump that is at the bottom of the well broke. And by the kind of the state and condition of the, the, the economy and um, just the supply chain, after six months, they still didn't have the parts and the repairman didn't have the parts to come and fix the pump. So like, well, where do we go and get water? We have to go to our neighbor's house. I'm like, okay, go to the neighbors. I'll go with you. I went with two guys, John and Tulani, and we had these big plastic containers that we were going to fill with water on a wheelbarrow. And we hike, and as we're going, I'm still really thirsty. These guys are starting to get thirsty. I haven't had water for a long time. And then uh, they didn't tell me that the neighbor isn't like my neighbor. We walked for 45 minutes straight. To finally to the neighbor's like farm where there's a spigot out of the ground and we get there like oh I'm drinking water water it's so good and then we fill up all all the uh, buckets and put them back in the wheelbarrow and wheel as every good story of course you have to wheel back uphill um, to get back it, it really was back uphill and the whole thing just to get water for the day for about ten of us took over two hours. And in the midst of that time, I think this was one of the first times in my life where I was having a thirst, and I couldn't get water. There was nothing to be had until we went and, and got it. Have you ever had that, a moment where you've had no water, and there is a physical thirst that you have, and that thirst tells us that we need water because our bodies are made up depending on the condition of your body is between like 55 and 70% water, right? Our brains are 75% water. David Ward, am I doing anything wrong here with the facts of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, they don't care about that in the emergency room. Um, 
Like your blood's like over 80% water. Your, your, your kidneys, your joints, your brain, everything for your body to function, you need water. And so God gave us this thirst for water so we can keep moving and keep functioning, okay? So this morning we're going to look at a passage of scripture in, in uh, Jesus' last words. And as we've been going through for the past several weeks, looking at the last words that Jesus has said on the cross. A couple weeks ago, looked at Pastor Rob, looked at the, with the two criminals, and today you'll be with me in paradise last week. Um, it was, my God, my God, why have you for, forsaken me? And um, this morning, it's these it's words, I thirst, from John uh, 19. So if we can put this in the context of physical exertion, Jesus gathers with his disciples in the upper room the night before, and from what we read, I think this is the last time he probably had anything to drink, all right? So oftentimes we don't think of, as we read, in context of this, this way, but Think of it this way. So he has these cups and he's drinking from them. And then from there he goes down through the Kidron Valley, back up to the Mount of Olives in this uh, garden in a place of pressing, a Gethsemane. And there we understand he is like sweating to the point of like shedding drops of, of blood because of the intensity of like the moment and the prayers. And then he gets betrayed, he gets uh, arrested, gets brought into um, a trial. And, and after that, he gets sentenced, and he's, he's flogged, and he's whipped, and he's beaten all the time. Probably, I'm assuming, sweating and bleeding, and water is just coming out of him. Physical exertion, physical exhaustion. Nine o'clock in the morning, after he's carried his cross up, he gets nailed to the cross. And then by noon, at noon, we read that the, the sky turns dark. And it's dark from 12 until 3. And then he says what uh, uh, Steve shared last week. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then we get to this moment right here. He has one more thing to say, but this is tucked in here before we get to Good Friday. And so he says in John 19, verses 28 through 30. After this... Again, three o'clock. This is where he is on the cross. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine... He said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So what do we learn from these verses? I think the first thing, if we look at 28, he says he knew everything was finished. The work that he came to do was now uh, complete. So we asked, what did he, if he knew the work that was completed, what was he there to do. And again, if we look at the Gospel of John, and we'll be looking at different parts in John this morning, at the beginning in chapter 1, what uh, he records, John the Baptist says, when John the Baptist sees Jesus walking towards him in John uh, 1, verse 29, says, Behold, look, here comes the Lamb of God, who has come to take away the sin of the world. 
So he identifies Jesus as the Lamb of God, which is this Old Testament imagery about Passover and sacrifice, that Jesus is now being identified as a sacrificial lamb, specifically bringing to mind what happened at Passover. Passover, the first Passover, was when Moses was getting ready to lead the people out of Egypt. And the tenth plague was the death of the firstborn. And the one way to avoid this was by sacrificing something in place of. And so they gathered a lamb and killed it, collecting its blood in a basin. And then they took what type of a branch? What do we think? Hyssop. We find hyssop right here in John. Yes, it's a connection. So they place the hyssop branch in, in, the, in, the, in the blood and they put it on the doorpost and over the, 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 the door frame. And at this moment, as they do so, uh, the debt has been paid, blood has been shed, and so death passes over. So here you have Jesus, this lamb, the sacrificial lamb. Behold, there is the lamb of God shedding his blood on the cross, and he says, now it has been complete, it is finished. And so they take the hyssop stalk and put it up to his face for him to have a little bit of a drink. Second, it's to fulfill scripture. This is one of nine times in John's gospel where he says to fulfill the scripture, to fulfill it. Meaning that what was happening, what was being said is everything is going to according to God's plan. This is how it's always going to be. According to God's plan. Two passages that scholars believe are, are connected with this, these words of I thirst. Uh, Psalm 22 verses 14 and 15 says, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, or other might say, my mouth is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Psalm 69, verse 21. They gave me poison for food, and, they, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Both point to our messianic passages. So scripture, Jesus knew this was going to be completed and second um, is to fulfill what was going to happen already. Third, the word I thirst. Jesus has one more thing that needs to be said. Again, we'll get to that on Friday. But he can't say it because I think physically he is so dehydrated, so exhausted, that it, it can't happen. Have you been to that point where you've ever been so dry mouth that you can't, it's, it's hard to speak? Maybe after a surgery when you wake up, I, I think I've encountered that before too. There was a, a, one of the first moments that I was I guess, I don't know if you say honor or privilege of sitting next to someone as they were in hospice, um, you know, in their last moments, in their last days, um, was a woman, her name was Isabel. And I was sitting next to her and I was reading scripture. She couldn't really talk that much. And so I was just reading her uh, the gospel. 
And uh, we've had many conversations about Jesus over the years. I, I loved her, faithful, faithful, faithful woman. And I could tell she wanted to say something and speak. And so right next to her was a table, and the table had a cup, and it had these sucker sticks in it. And you pulled out the sucker stick, and on the end of it uh, was a little sponge. You know the type, I, you've maybe encountered these before, and you dip it in water. And I went and I put it on her lips, and then she opened her mouth, and she kind of... Um, mouth and you know got some of the liquid so then she could speak and I don't remember what she said at that time but I'm sure um, she was giving God glory in some way but I think Jesus is at this moment saying I thirst because what we know out of scripture is that not only is Jesus fully God but he's also fully man Not only is Jesus fully God, 100%, but he's also fully man, 100%. And so he is thirsting in the same way that we do. Other passages, we know he gets tired, he gets fatigued, he uh, gets weary. He weeps and cries. And later on, we read in Hebrews how he he knows uh, all the temptations that we have faced because he's faced them. This is important to us in our faith because to be this representative, to take our place on the cross, which is what is happening, what has done, the lamb is the sacrifice that should be ours. He has to be fully like us. And this is a a, a pointer uh, to this. He's experiencing life as we do. Romans 5, this is what Paul writes, verse 18 and 19. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification of life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, Adam in, in the garden, that then, uh, that leads, or for as one man's disobedience, there were many that were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, this is Christ Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Later on in Philippians uh, chapter 2, verse 8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so we, here we have Jesus in the six of seven words that he s- says on the cross. He's talking about a physical need for thirst. However, I also have to look at, as we look at John entirely, that John often and, and reveals Jesus as identifying a physical need, but then also addresses the spiritual component of it as well. So a couple examples would be as, as people are hungry and they come to him, you know, the thousands and thousands, the 5,000 that, that come, and he feeds them, the feeding of the 5,000, he gives them physical bread, and then what does he say about himself? That he is the bread, right? So he's saying, not only does he provide physically, but also, more importantly, he provides, he is the sustenance, he is the bread that we need each and every day. Another time, he heals a man that's born blind. So he's addressing the physical need here. But then what does he say to the religious leaders at the time? He says, you're blind, spiritually. So it's a combination of the, this physical and then spiritual. And so I, I think here, not only does it address the physical, his 100% humanity, that he's thirsty, but also there's another piece here. If we look at 
spiritually? What is he thirsty for? And when I read the scriptures, when I read the gospel, he is thirsty for you. For God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. He desires us. He desires to fix this broken relationship that we have and for us to be back in connection and right relationship with him. And so he provides a way for this to happen, this to be done. Luke records after this interaction he has with a guy named Zacchaeus, a tax collector. He goes to his house. Zacchaeus has changed and Jesus tells him, I have come to seek and save. The son of man has come to seek and save the lost. And so what is Jesus thirsty for? Well, liquid, but he's also thirsty for us. Wholeness in relationship with him. He desires all to come to him, to be made right with him. And so he provides a way for this to happen. And so as his followers, as his disciples, we should be asking, what am I thirsty for? What do I thirst for? Back in the 90s, I grew up watching Sprite commercials. Anybody know this advertising slogan? Sprite! Obey your thirst, right? Basically, whatever it is, just obey it. Whatever you are thirsty for, whatever you long for, whatever you need, just go for it and, and, and go get it. Be thirsty for it. Just go do it. And in many ways, I think the world and culture that we live in still lives by this principle. If you're thirsty for it, just go grab it. Go do it. Whether that would be money, wealth, possessions, fame, recognition, want to be known, have your identity wrapped up on what others think and see about you. Maybe thirsting for power, thirsty for control of others. Maybe it's a thirst for a relationship. And sometimes if I'm just thirsty for that, then it doesn't matter what God says about whatever boundary we should have. I'm just going to go and get it. We thirst for safety. We we thirst for security. And for a lot of times, I think we also thirst just to be entertained and to numb ourselves out because we really don't want to face what the world has. I look at a world that doesn't really thirst for godliness or righteousness or turning the other cheek or living our lives according to God's desire, God's plan. So there is a contrast, I think, between what we read and what we see. I think an example is from Psalm 63. This is a psalm of of David. Before he is king, he is still out in the, in the wilderness. And he writes, he's in the, understand, I, I should have put a picture of this, but he is in the Judean wilderness. There hardly is any water here. 
just picture a mountainous region that looks like a desert and you see nothing green. And you don't see water. And that's where he is. And in this moment, he writes, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. He knows what it is to be thirsty for physical water. And he says, my soul is thirsting for the same thing. But it's for God. Whole body longing for God. Because I think what we know about David is that his life has been so changed and transformed by being with the Lord. Another example of, of what this looks like, if we look at John uh, chapter 4, many of us know this as the, the, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman um, at, at the well with Jesus, and Jesus has, and his disciples are traveling um, north through Samaria up into Galilee, and they make a stop at, at Jacob's well from, you know, Jacob, the Jacob from the Old Testament. And, and they stop there, and Jesus is, it says he's tired. He's weary. And so he sends his disciples to go into town uh, to get some food. And uh, here comes this woman. She's coming by herself. Which that probably means, we know that means something else too. But she comes, and Jesus says to her, Will you give me a drink? Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? Because we're not supposed to get along. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Then are you greater than Jacob, who gave us this well? And Jesus answered her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And later on in John 7, Jesus, at the time of the greatest day of this festival, the Feast of Tabernacles, he gets up in front of everyone in this moment of quiet, and he says to them, this is uh, verses 37 and 38, he says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So Jesus is talking about how he provides streams, rivers of living water. Then through the Holy Spirit, the living water then flows within us. And so what happens to this woman as she has this encounter with Jesus? She says, I, I, I give me this water so I won't get thirsty. I don't want to have to keep coming here to draw this water. So then they keep in their conversation talking about worship. And then finally at the end, she says, I know the Messiah, 
is coming, when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declares, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. So boom, he reveals who he really is to her. He is the fountain of life, the source of living water. And so the, the, the amazing thing here is what happens next. You guys know what she does next? Why did she come to the well? To get water. Does she ever get this water? No, she leaves this behind. Because suddenly she is now filled with, or a different purpose, a different thirst was now met. And then she goes into the village and she starts telling everyone, you gotta come out and meet this guy. This Messiah is here. The Lord speaks through Jeremiah and gives us a, a, a warning. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So there's a difference between flowing living water and a cistern. A cistern is like a pit that's dug out and the water just gets stored there. It's stagnant, not moving. And so for all these years, this woman has been getting her water out of this stagnant source. And finally she encounters Jesus, the living water, and then that does not matter anymore. What she was thirsty for changed. Life different. Priorities different. Changed. And so when I ask you, what are you thirsty for? What well, what cistern are you going to? Do we keep returning to a cistern that's broken, full of stagnant water? Looking around and seeing what does this world provide? Or are we following in the ways of Jesus, in the path, following and seeking the living water, living in this way as our source each and every day? So how do we do this? Again, These are three ideas, certainly not the end-all, be-all, but um, this might help. How do we leave our own water jar behind? How do we leave the old jar behind? Forget about it. Don't turn back. How do we do this? First, be thirsty for what Jesus is thirsty for. Be thirsty for what Jesus is thirsty for. How do we know what Jesus is thirsty for? It's right here. So many of us, this is not a priority. Knowing how God has revealed himself to us, the words of life that he gives to us in his word. We spend time each day drinking from broken cisterns and stagnant water. Then we do drinking from his living water. 
If we know that Jesus is thirsting for the lost, he came to seek and save the lost. Could I ask you, how's that going for you? Are you thirsty for the same things that he is thirsty for? Are you? Are you thirsty for the lost? Do you understand that people spiritually are dead all around us? Do we have a thirst to bring them life? To bring his kingdom, to bring his righteousness, to bring his humbleness, his meekness into this world. To reveal, are we thirsty for what he is thirsty for? Second, I just put the word refocus. Every day, we have opportunities to refocus. His, his mercies are made new each and every day. So I wake up in the morning and ask, God, what do you want me to focus on today? It might be helpful for you is to take a little note card or a sheet of paper and ask God, hey, what do you want me to focus on today? Maybe it's putting others first, or maybe it's loving someone that I really have a hard time loving or a person that you're praying for, you just write it on your card and, and you keep that in front of you as a focus. At the end of the day, go back and look at it again and say, okay, Lord, you're slowly gonna be transforming me, renewing my mind, as Paul says in Romans 12. Third, come to the fountain. Um, one of the first books, maybe 20 years ago, I, I read about the Christian faith and walking. It was a book by uh, A.W. Tozer called The Pursuit of God. And never knew that A.W. Tozer was going to be a CMA guy. Then here now I'm in the CMA church. and um, That's funny. Uh, but he wrote this book, The Pursuit of God. And at the end of each chapter, he just writes a prayer. And many times I can just look at the prayers of other people that have walked before me and know how they prayed and that was always a blessing. So this is part of one of his prayers at the end of the first chapter about pursuing God, which I would say being thirsty for God. He says, oh God, the triune God, I want to want you. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. We know that Jesus is the initiator here and we are just asking, God, I have a thirst problem. Give me a thirst to thirst for you, right? Give me a longing to long for you. Jesus, make my priorities your priorities and we surrender and give of ourselves uh, to you each day. Um, I'd like to close uh, finishing Eka Tulaney story. So if those are, well, Nick's already up here, awesome. Um, so back at Eka Tulaney, that morning we came back and we made porridge and kind of did all, all the things that we did and had our morning devotions together and talking with more, more of these guys and they were helping me make a picture frame and I was using the hand planer and sandpaper and all that stuff and um, same thing as the day before, lunch, after lunch, we then uh, played soccer and I'm um, grateful again with a, a, a new uh, Nalgene full of water this time. Um, but as we were playing, I went to go get the ball and I turned around and the guys were like running down the, the, the dirt path. And they were running towards this, uh, 
white truck. And the white truck, I said, what, what are you so excited about this white truck? And, and they said, that's the repair man. After six months, the parts came in and he was coming out to fix the pump. And so what we were doing for the rest of the day changed, priorities changed, and we spent the rest of the day putting the well back together. They fixed the pump, and piece by piece, they took these pipes and they used the pulleys to keep lowering it and holding it and put the next piece. It was probably like 10, I don't know, 10 to 15 lengths to go down to reach the water source, to get to that water. At sunset, we got to the end and they were ready to try the pump. So they went and plugged it in. We're all quiet and we heard this. Gurgle, 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 gurgle. And then all of a sudden, water starts coming out the top of this, of this pipe and, and the guys, they're cheering, they're whistling and then suddenly they start singing and I don't have the song perfect but that moment is seared within my mind as they started singing. Wazapuze alawamazi nefuna amazi jesu netuya. Kept singing it. I remember, like, I still getting a little teary right now, but I had tears in my eyes at hearing. I didn't even know what they were singing, but it was worship. So what are you saying? What are you singing? And they said, come, the song, come and drink the water from the fountain of life. Jesus is the fountain of life. Our invitation, as Jesus says, is to come to him. Fountain of life. Streams of living water will flow. Don't go to the cisterns. Those aren't going to satisfy. But only our Jesus will. We're going to close our time together, I think appropriately, by celebrating communion with each other. If you have some communion elements, if you get those out. If you don't have them, just raise your hand up. Our, our ushers are here, and they'll bring some down to you. Some over here, Ned. And right here, then, in the back uh, corner. I think as we prepare to uh, take communion, I trust the Spirit of God is speaking to you. If there is something that needs to be done between you and Jesus before we take, please ask. It might be a moment of, of confession that Jesus, I have been drinking from this cistern. Help me. Change my life, change my heart. confess, I, I repent of this and I want to turn to you and you be my living water. So on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he gathered with his disciples in the upper room and he 
took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he said to his disciples, this is my body which is broken for you. The Lamb of God, take and eat. same way after supper he took the cup after giving thanks to the father he said this is the cup of the new covenant shed in his blood for forgiveness of sins do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me we remember Jesus sacrificial lamb take and drink Jesus, may you be our all in all. May you be our desire. May you be our thirst. And we come to you now in praise and thanksgiving.
this morning, if you have been moved that you would like to be prayed for or lift any prayer concerns or just want to talk to someone about maybe how the Spirit of God is moving you, um, Diana and John are over here. They'd love to pray with you either here or over in our, our prayer room. And the other thing is just as we enter Holy Week, Holy Week that we will then come together on Friday and then next Sunday to remember and to celebrate. Go out this week thirsting for Jesus, the lover and creator of your souls. May you go out through the strength of God, the love, the grace of the Son, and the power of the Spirit. Go in his peace. Amen.